0: Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. This week, we turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 16, as Pastor Josh LaGrange delivers his sermon titled Adopted and Accepted. Catechisms originally were not made for children. They were made for all, including adults. You will learn big theology uh, by going through those things. One more thing I want to pass along to you um, in joy. Uh, Next Sunday week from today, we'll be celebrating a baptism uh, together. So we'll do that here. Um, So uh, know that that's coming up this coming week. Miss uh, young Kiera Wire going to be expressing her faith in Christ through baptism. So know that's coming. Romans chapter eight, let's start in verse 12. Keep reading through this building argument. Our God is sanctifying his people. He's using his Holy Spirit to do this work. We're seeing the various ways he minister, various works that he does. And we come to number seven today in this passage, verse 12. So then brethren, we're under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of of God. So you notice a, a new truth has been introduced first time in this book that that has been explained. These are the sons and daughters of God. Now he's going to flesh that out a little bit. Verse 15, for you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, Lord, we come to you. Um, lips made of dust are about to preach your word. Ears made of dust are about to receive your word left to ourselves. We're just that just dust. Lord, you have breathed life into us. You have given us grace and, and Lord, we come to you. We come to you through the blood of your son, through faith in his name, welcomed and only having access because of this. And Lord, you have made us your children. Father, I pray that you will help us to see these truths and then to worship, to worship as we heed them, love them, exult in them, glory in them. And Lord, that then you will take these truths and use them to bring the transformation in us. Lord, inspire us, call us onto obedience, O oh Lord. So Father, in the time that we spend here, Lord, please give us grace, protect us. Watch over us, shine light on your word. Help us, O Lord, glorify your name as we come to praise you for your grace and see this another grace that you have given. Please give help, O Lord, we ask this through Christ. Amen. Uh, Every wedding glorifies God in some way Even the weddings where there are folks who don't even like him. Somehow, some way, the elements of the gospel, elements of God's glory are shown as the gospel is pictured in the act of marriage. Christian weddings see that glory of the gospel and rejoice in it, celebrate it, make it known. Um, But there's one particular wedding that I attended that very much stands out in my mind. Um, in, in the glory of God that was shown in it. It, it was the wedding of uh, one of my little buddies, um, a man who was adopted from Haiti when he was a child. And in that wedding, they had a, uh, they had a unity candle, as is often done. And when it came time for the parents uh, to light that wedding candle, his parents, his true parents, I'm referring to his adoptive parents, they came and they took part in lit his side of the candle, but he also did something kind of unique. Um, there was a, an older woman uh, in their church that was kind of a grandma figure to him. He, he loved her and she stood in as a representative of his biological mother that he never knew. And she also took part in that unity candle. And as that was happening, there was just a flood of truths that were being preached and made evident in that moment. There there were just a lot of things that suddenly just kind of dawned on all of us that here was a man who had been fatherless and motherless, without family, helpless. And you try to imagine what his life would have looked at, looked like, had he not been adopted. You know, even here in our land of abundance, the fatherless grow up with severe trauma in their souls. God has just wired us up in this world to need, need family, to need father and mother. But in places like Haiti, it is only multiplied. Because there's not only the trauma of the soul, but there is also very real physical torments that the fatherless grow up with there in places like Haiti. Haiti is one of the poorest places on the earth. It it is known that at times of severe hunger that sometimes folks there will eat mud just to try to pacify the hurt of their stomachs of their aching hunger. I have a friend of mine who did a mission trip to Haiti several years ago and he speaks sign language and so he focused his efforts on going to the deaf and preaching the gospel to them. And uh, one of the places that he visited was a, 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 an orphanage that specialized in caring for deaf children and the heartache he described was just almost too much to bear young school-aged girls, school-aged girls who sit by the highways to sell their bodies for 15 pennies a time in order to buy bread and pencils so that they might be able to attend school. You try to imagine what this young man's life would have looked like had someone not come and set his set their love on him and then now you're looking at him on this happy day, his wedding day as he's joining in covenant with a younger, young, uh, wonderful young woman and days of gladness before him, all because someone came when he was helpless and set their love on him, a loving family who brought him in and raised him. It was just an overwhelming display of glory. We were all getting a lot of dust in our eyes during that ceremony as we were seeing these truths of God displayed. Adoption is one of the great pictures of the gospel. In fact, even that doesn't tell the whole story. It is not just a picture of the gospel. Those are truths of the gospel. Those are realities. At the right time, while we were still helpless, Christ died. God the Father has come and set his love on people, not because we deserve it, not because we're worth it, not because we had any authority in ourselves to make him do this, but in his own grace, out of his own loving kindness, he has come and set his love on individuals who had no ability to rescue themselves, us who are in Christ. For you who are in Christ this morning, not only have you been justified, Not only have you been pardoned, not only have you been plucked from the flames of hell and then 999 other gifts that we talk about, but God has added this as well. He has brought you into his own family. He has called us his children, children of God. What I want to do this morning is just spend this time worshiping by basking in this truth. The beauty of this one truth. Ephesians 1 tells us that God has ordered all of the cosmos and all of history to the praise of the glory of his grace. This is another grace to glory in. This is another truth, another work of God to just hear fall on the ground. If you just want to fall on the ground as I'm preaching, that would be great. Just fall on the ground and just bask and say, God, thank you. This is more glory that he has worked for his people. So join with me in exulting in this precious gift. This is work number seven of our, in our list of nine ways that the Spirit ministers to us. He testifies to our adoption. He testifies, he helps our souls to know of our adoption. So this is number seven and we see it specifically in verses 15 through 17, though there will be more um, next week that we need to look at in continuation of this. But let me start, let let me start kinda here. I wanna try to build, um, if you're new to studying the Bible, kinda try to build the argument. So here's where I think we need to begin. I wanna give a statement that then needs to be considered um, and looked at from scripture. Here's the statement. We are not naturally born the children of God. When you were born into this world, you were not in the family of God. You were not a child of God. It is only those who respond to Christ in faith who are adopted as sons and daughters of God. We are not born children of God. We must be born again. Now, that's a controversial statement in the world. should definitely shouldn't be in the church because the Bible is just so clear. But let me show this to you before we go any further. If you'll jump to the book of John with me, we're going to be going there several times this morning. So you might just keep a finger in the book of John. John chapter 1, and if you'll find verse 10. Verse 10 just kind of sets the context a little bit, but verses 12 and 13 are specifically what we're looking at. John 1, find verse 10. This is talking about Jesus in the incarnation coming into the world. He, Jesus, was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. And then watch this. But as many as received him, To them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, we sometimes talk about religious liberalism, theological liberalism, And if we hear someone who says something about the Bible, you know, maybe they read Ephesians five and you know, they say, well, here's what it really means. And when they say what it really means, it's the exact opposite of what the Bible says, okay? We say that's liberal, okay? Well, yes, it is, okay? Because that's where liberalism goes. But understand that if you root liberalism, theological liberalism down close to its roots, it can be defined with two specific beliefs. So this is what one liberal theologian looking at the whole movement. This is kind of, kind of how he rooted it down to the most basic beliefs. Here they are. The universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. Universal fatherhood of God, universal brotherhood of man. Now you hear in that, as I'm describing that, that word universal, there's a theological term you need to know. It's called universalism. Universalism is when somebody believes everybody's okay. Okay, everybody's going to heaven. Universally, everybody is redeemed. Everybody's in heaven. You know, humans are naturally good. uh, So we're all okay. Okay, Uh, now if you're driving down the road sometime and you see a a church sign that says universalist, whatever, afterwards, what they're telling you is, this is what we believe. Big smile on your face. Everybody's okay. You don't have to read the Bible for about 10 minutes before you see that that is absurd. Um, What we are shown in scripture is that this is not reality. The, but consider both of these for just a second. The belief in the universal brotherhood of man. You know, that sounds nice. That's the kind of you know, language that can sound spiritual. But you gotta understand, we gotta be, you know—the the, the, the most dangerous false teachings are the ones that sound kind of spiritual. They're kind of halfway biblical. The universal brotherhood of man denies the reality that there is a family of God that is a distinct people. Now the Bible teaches the neighborhood of man that even the unbelieving inhabitants of the earth, we are to consider them our neighbor. And the Bible commands us to love our neighbor, serve our neighbor. Part of living as a Christian is working for the good of our neighbor. So bigotry, partiality, et cetera, it's all evil, but not because we're brothers, but because we are neighbors. And these souls are made in the image of God. Because here's a reality. We in Christ are not family with those who reject Christ. And likewise, the universal fatherhood of God idea, it it denies this reality that is just so clearly explained in scripture that the sons and daughters of God are those who have come to him, submitted to him as father and come to him through His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus. Again, universal fatherhood of God sounds nice, sounds spiritual, If you've never read the Bible, you could believe that it was in the Bible if you just heard it. But what it does is subtly preach this idea that because God is everyone's father, then God loves everyone exactly the same and nobody's in any danger and everything is fine regardless of their behavior, regardless of their submission. Instead, Scripture teaches the universal creatorhood of God, that God has made and formed all souls and therefore he has care. He has concern even for those who reject his son. There is a general creator's love that he has, but that is very different from being their father. And the love that he has for his children is much greater and even a different kind that he has for his sons and daughters. God is not the father, of those who are his enemies. God is the father of those who come to him through faith in his son. So here's, a, here's another, to understand this, another principle. You have a spiritual father. You have a spiritual father. The question is not if you do, the question is who is your spiritual father? Your spiritual father is the one that you put fatherly trust in, the one you submit to in a fatherly kind of fashion, and the one that you imitate as a father. So who do you trust? Who do you listen to? And of whom are you a chip off the old block? Let's see this again in the book of John. Turn to John 8 with me. John chapter eight, Jesus is having a conversation with some religious leaders there. Back up uh, to verse 38 to get a little bit of the context. John eight, verse 38. So Jesus is saying to these guys, I speak the things which I have have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. Pause there. They're referring to the circumstances of uh, the scandal of Mary getting pregnant before she was married. They, they kind of throw this insult at Jesus. We weren't born of fornication. Now continue on. We have one Father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. So think about what's happening there. Jesus is speaking to a group of highly religious people. Okay. Just get rid of the idea that if we're just religious, if I just try, so long as I follow something, then I'll be okay. No, you have to have the right spiritual father, but Jesus is speaking to these religious men and he tells them that they are of their father, the devil. And proof of that is they follow the deeds of their father. And so so let me just make some application here that could sound like I'm going to be really mean, but I'm going to promise you this is not coming out of cruelty. This is warning out of love from the word of God. If you are not in Christ, if you have not turned to him, listen to me. If you are not resting all of your hope in him to have eternal life, you are of your father, the devil. Now you might say, Bastard, you know, watch it. You're being mean. I don't act like him. I don't trust in him. You act like just because I don't do what you say, that I'm not a Christian how you say, that I'm some kind of devil worshiper. I don't go around murdering people. Okay, well, hopefully not. All right, But the seeds are all there. The seeds are there. Murder comes out of hatred. Adultery comes out of lust. There is in your heart lies, selfishness, rebellion. It's all there in smaller form. And listen, those things are also in the Christians in the room as well. But we have taken God up on this offer that he has given. God has given the offer that if you will come and trust in him, stop trusting in someone else come trust in him, come submit to him as father that he will forgive us of our sins and then he begins to remove and cleanse out of our lives what is like, who we used to follow and one day there's the promise that it'll all be gone and then when it comes to this whole trusting and submitting to a spiritual father thing, if you're not in Christ, I wanna ask you this question. Do you believe all of the Bible? Do do you believe it's every word that it says? All right, well, if not, that's not trusting. That's not believing Him. What, What God calls us to is to come and trust Him. When you follow the beliefs of the world, who do you think is influencing those beliefs of the world? There is this growing number Of folks in our nation who are wanting to claim Christianity, but then at the same time, but being like, yeah, but this part, you know, where God talks about sexuality, I don't believe that. Who do you think that is of? That is not of God to come and to trust him, to come and submit to him is to come and to do so all of the way in a holistic bowing of the knee. And and also just consider here. I mean, we could turn to so many places in the Bible to see this just clarified, even without using the exact language of fathers and children. Consider places like Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, doesn't stand in the path of sinners, doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you hear the language of trusting in that? And who do you follow? He will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water. And then Psalm 1 takes that turn and says, but the wicked are not so, but are like chaff, which the wind drives away. They will not stand at the judgment and they will not be in the assembly of the righteous. Do you hear the language in that of the distinction between two groups? Those who are the people of God and those who are rejecting his rule. Those who are in Christ, children of God, and those who are not. Ephesians 2 says that in our former manner of life, speaking to us Christians, in our former manner of life, we were enemies of God. In Christ, we move from enemies to children of God. But the way scripture says it is you must receive Christ. That was the language we saw in John 1. To those who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. We are not born into the family of God. We must be born again. And then we are received as sons and daughters of God. And so what this means is that for us who are in Christ, we are able to call God our father in truth. In Christ, God is your father and Jesus is your Let me show it to you in the Bible. Let me show it to you in the Bible before I say it and and somebody picks up stones to kill me as a heretic, okay? Because there is something here that is so wild that if we didn't have some passages of the Bible that made it explicit, I would think it was heresy. So look at Romans 8 again. Find verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now notice here, so if you are a child of God, then you are an heir of God. What's an heir? An heir is someone who is going to receive an inheritance when his father dies. In our case, God is never going to die. So we will inherit in a different way. Book of Hebrews makes a point about that. That's really great news. And in the future, we've got some things to rejoice in and study about our inheritance, but that's not my point now. But notice, you will inherit from God the Father. You are an heir, and Jesus is an heir. Jesus is the Son of God. Now let me, let me pause there and let's do a parenthesis. Jesus is the Son of God in a different way than you and I are sons and daughters of God. Jesus is the eternal only begotten son of God. That language there of the only begotten does not mean that there is a time that he was birthed or a time that he was created. What it means, what it is referring to is his relationship with the father. Only begotten means he is of the same essence as the father. You and I are not divine. Jesus is divine. Jesus is the true, only, and unique son of God. You and I are the adopted sons and daughters of God. So we always need to make that clear. But if that is the case, what does that make us with Jesus? I'm a child of God, Jesus is a child of God. You're a child of God, Jesus is a child of God. What does this make us? Okay. Like I would think this would be blasphemy if the Bible did not say it and make it clear. Uh, Hebrews two, if you wanna jump there briefly. Hebrews two, we see it in some other passages and we'll see it in one other place today. Hebrews two, find verse 11, Um, speaking of Jesus. Hebrews 2, 11, speaking of Jesus, for both he who sanctifies, who's that? that? That's Jesus. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, that's us, are all from one father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. That would seem blasphemous if the Bible did not spell it out. Jesus is that older brother, the older brother of the Christian That older brother who protects and loves his younger siblings. But there's there's more. Come back to Romans 8. Look at verse 15 again. And let's keep thinking through the phrases that are here. So he says, you have not received a spirit of slavery. So the Holy Spirit whom we receive, he is not a spirit who has come to enslave us. And then notice what is said right after that. Leading to fear again. The, the spirit coming to us, doesn't, he does not lead us to fear again. Now, yes, we are to fear God in the sense of holy reverence. Okay, so that's what the Bible means when it says that we ought to have fear and trembling. It's not that there's a degree of fear, like it's a little bit versus a lot. It's a kind of fear. We come to God as the majestic Sovereign Lord, not as our buddy. So there is a way that we approach him and that is reverent fear and trembling. That's a certain kind of fear. But what the Bible tells us is that God does not want his children to have that wrong kind of fear, a terror in their hearts where we are afraid of him as though he means us ill. That's, that's not the case. What it is What it does mean, those who are not sons and daughters of God, listen to me very carefully, you should have terror in your hearts. That's not my opinion. That's what the book of Hebrews says. If you are not in Christ, your future is that of nothing but the expectation of the fury of the living God. It says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There should be terror But what happens is a lot of times is that those who should have terror usually have none. And sometimes those who shouldn't have terror sometimes do. We who are in Christ, we've heard the gospel. We've come to understand how God thinks of sin. We've come to understand the fury of God towards sin. You will not turn to Christ until you have a moment of fear. You you will not turn to Christ to be saved until there is a moment of realization. I deserve hell and I very much do not want this. Here is the rescue. But what can sometimes happen for us Christians is that after we are safe, we're still remembering back to God's fury over sin. And I see my stupid sin. And then we can come to think that God still has those kinds of sentiments, feelings towards me. But what scripture says is, once you come to safety in Christ, first John says, perfect love cast out all fear. God wants his sons and daughters to know that you are safe. You are safe. He wants you to know that you are safe. He does not want you to have terror towards him. Yes, holy, reverent kind of worshiping fear, but not that terror of the hearts. And so part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that he is coming to the Christian and he is working to bring you to stop fearing, to bring you to confidence. I hope this sermon is part of what he uses because that is how he's working He's not just like magically pulling things out of the air. He's using the word of God. He's using the ministry of the church in order to bring these truths home. Continue through the verse. And then he says, so you've not received this, but here's what you have received. You have received, all right, now, and then we have a little bit of difference between the, um, some of the various Bible translations there, okay? New American Standard uh, has a lowercase s referring to just kind of, you know, kind of how we talk about someone has a spirit of love about them. It's kind of speaking of a spirit of adoption. So that's the way it interprets. The Greek that is there. If you've got an ESV, it capitalizes the word S saying that this is referring to the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of adoption. Uh, Either way, we're safe. Okay. Still teaching the same truth. I do believe the S ought to be capitalized there. I do believe this is referring to the Holy Spirit. That's what the whole context of chapter eight, you know, the first 30 verses is all about. We've received him. He is ministering and he is the spirit of adoption. He is communicating our adoption to us. His presence, He is working to assure you of your adoption. And then, notice there how how it reads, adoption as sons adoption is sons. Now, now, why does it say that instead of like sons and daughters? Uh, th- this is once again, this is actually just one word in the Greek. It's kind of like the generic word for adoption, if that makes sense. It's the same reason going back to Genesis 2, uh, why the Bible does this kind of thing all the time, refer to all of humanity as man, okay? Mankind, all right? And there's a reason why because of Adam being the representative of the race and such. This is just part of how God created the world, but just know that that's, There, Yes, he does mean male and female who are in Christ, the children of God. But then continue. By which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, that word father there, that's the normal Greek word for father, it's pader. But the word Abba, that's an Aramaic word. It was an Aramaic word that was not commonly used by Greek speakers. So it was was not generally used in Greek literature. So why is it that the New Testament took this Aramaic word and the writers inspired by the Holy Spirit used that Aramaic word in their Greek manuscripts, okay? New Testament was written in Greek for mass distribution. That was the trade language that was there. Well, the average Jew spoke three languages, at least. Spoke at least three languages. Biblical Hebrew, in order to understand the scriptures. Greek, which that was the trade language. That's what everybody uh, spoke in order to communicate across nations and such. But then thirdly, the daily language of the average Jew living in Israel there was Aramaic. Understand that when Jesus taught on a daily basis, he spoke in Aramaic. That's what was kind of the mother language of uh, the Jews living in Israel there. So a lot of times in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus would uh, speak and he spoke in Aramaic. Those gospel writers took the Aramaic, translated it into Greek, okay, for mass distribution. And then, you know, our English Bibles, we translate from the Greek into English. But when Jesus prayed, understand praying in Aramaic he would then he would pray to God and say abba and it was so captivating so revolutionary that the apostles were stricken by it you have to understand you know we just call god father a lot of times without even thinking about it i know for most of my christian life just thought you know just obvious throw it out there you got to understand this was scandalous. This was scandalous when Jesus would pray and call God Abba. In fact, in John, I think, I think it's John 10, there's a place there where the Jewish leaders pick up stones and want to kill Jesus because he called God Abba. They considered that blasphemous. See, this isn't revealed in the Old Testament, at least not clearly. This is another one of those new revelations that Jesus brought, a a pulling back of the curtains, this adoption in salvation. It was absolutely scandalous. The first time that Jesus prayed in the presence of his disciples and he said, Abba, I just imagine them looking up and looking at one another. What did he just say? Abba? And and apparently, it was so wonderful, so beautiful that the gospel writers, several of them, instead of just in translating it as pader, they just go ahead and keep it. Jesus prayed Abba. And Abba was a very familiar term for father. What, What I mean by familiar is not common, but what I mean is not formal, not formal. So like a, a a little girl comes to her daddy and she says, daddy, that's familiar. The word Abba is a very loving, intimate, and familiar word for father. And Jesus prayed to God and said, my Abba. And what Romans eight is saying, is that God wants you to to say that with Jesus. My Abba. The Spirit is leading His people, not just so that we know it intellectually, He's not just working so you can get this one right in a Bible trivia game. He is ministering to you so that your soul knows it and knows it intimately. And when you pray, you will say, my father, Abba. And when we say that, we are saying it with Jesus. He is inviting us to come with him to his father, now speaking to brothers and sisters and saying, come, let's go to our Abba. Look at verse 16 in, in Romans 8 again. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The spirit is ministering so that your spirit, that you know, your soul, your inner man, so that you know that God is your Father. He's leading you so that you will pray and know that He is your Father and so that you will call Him Father. When the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, and Jesus gave that model prayer, sometimes called the Lord's Prayer. I don't think that's the best title. He gives the model prayer. How did Jesus teach us to begin? Our Father. Not only is the father there revolutionary, but it's also the hour. Jesus is inviting us with him. It's not just Jesus's father. When we are in Christ, he is now our father as well. And Jesus invites you to come and have God as your father with him. John 20, let's go there one more time. I think it is. John 20. Verse 17, this is after the resurrection and there's just such beauty here in that Jesus says this when all has been finished, Jesus has risen from the dead. John 20, verse 17, Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and my God and your God. That is meant to be revolutionary. The Lord God of the cosmos, the Lord God who is sovereign over all things. He is our king, but he is not just our king. He is our master, but he is not just our master. He has invited us into the family And now he is our father. Let me try now to bring some application here of some of what this is, what this means and what this is supposed to do to us. Christian, this informs how you think of yourself. How you think of yourself is a pretty big deal. How you think of yourself affects how you talk, how you walk, how you live, decisions you make. If you are a son, daughter of God, there is a certain way that we are invited to carry ourselves and think of ourselves. And see, there, there's something here that is starkly different than the way the world thinks. See, it's a, it is a true thing. You need confidence in order to flourish in life. You do, you need confidence. Uh, For someone to lead, they gotta have confidence in order to step up and lead. Fathers, if you're gonna rise up and and lead and manage your households, there has to be some confidence that is there. Without confidence, a, a woman cannot walk in security. She'll always be second guessing her worth, always questioning her value, always insecure, comparing herself to others. Without confidence, we don't flourish. That's a reality. And so the world preaches, you need confidence. So let me give you some confidence. You are awesome. You are amazing. You know, you know every social media meme, you're the storm. You're a force to be reckoned with you're a tiger, whatever, choose your metaphor, blah, 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 all of this. And it's constantly preaching this, you are amazing kind of stuff. I think that often the people who commit suicide are those who see that hogwash for what it is. And they come to despair because everything they've believed that they thought was the good news of life is nothing but emptiness. Because it's not true but it's preached as the world's gospel. The true gospel, the true gospel comes to us and it's got kind of a different message. (laughs) The true gospel comes to us and says that you're not awesome, you're a sinner and your sin is, it's embarrassing. Your sin is not just unclean, it's disgusting. And all of this talk uh, uh, before, when we believe the gospel of the world, that surely God just loves me and and sees my worth. The Bible comes to you and says, you you have no worth in yourself before God. You have no way that, that God is attracted to you because of anything righteous inside of you. You are dust. You are dust. You were made from the dust. You're gonna return to the dust. Think about it. The the message of you are awesome. It's putting your confidence in dust. That's all you are apart from him. But for the Christian, God speaks to us. And so we have that message, which brings humility. But then there is something else that brings confidence, not arrogance, but confidence rooted not in dust, but rooted in the indestructible life and love of God. For the Christian, God does tell you to walk in confidence, a humble kind of confidence. I realize my unworthiness. I realize that I am a sinner. I realize I deserve wrath, but praise the name of the Lord. Jesus died for me. Jesus has brought me to God now as my father. My father is king of the universe. My father is ordering every dust particle in the cosmos and says he's doing it for my good. My father is in the end going to glorify his name so that angels and men bow to him. He wins, my father, he wins and in an just astounding work of grace as well, he has chosen to glorify his sons and daughters. You also Christian are going to stand before the nations and you are going to be honored. You are going to join with Christ, co-heirs with Christ. Tell me how that's possible, I don't understand, but joint heirs with him in receiving the world, our Father, ordering and directing our lives, says, take part in my work, no matter how much you suffer, No matter how violent and painful your death might be, for my name's sake, I am building my kingdom. I am building my church. You get to contribute. This is our Father. Christian, that'll affect how you think of yourself. Christian, that'll affect affect every single part. Your Father smiles on you. Your Father loves you. Your father accepts you. You have relationship with the God who rules the cosmos. He is your king and your father. Christian, this will affect how you walk. And yeah, I do mean that in one sense figuratively, but I also mean that quite literally. You ever seen somebody walk past who's always, always insecure of themselves? Always, maybe even has self-loathing, and, and you just kind of see that that mopey way that they carry on. It's a sad sight. By the way, that is one of the ways that child predators pick out victims. Find the kid who's unloved. Find the kid who's hungry for affection and approval. We are born with father hunger. We are wired up with a desire for our fathers to be proud of us. We yearn for father figures and father love regularly, regularly. I counsel with grown men and women. I have even had counsel with those in their 80s who stings from their father still hurt. We have got Father hunger. And what God has done is that not only has he saved us from hell, but he has made us his father and given us promises. And that is comforting, but it is also comes with a calling. And it also inspires us to a motivating kind of drive that wants to please him. So the Christian is inspired with this comforting truth. That we can walk, you know, not strutting like a rooster. You know, look at that sometime. It's hilarious. It's where we get our word cocky, okay? Not strutting like a rooster. That's the world's version of confidence. It's arrogance in self. But we have been enabled by God to walk with our shoulders back and our back straight. And you know those worry muscles on your face? We we have been invited by God for those to relax. My kids can tell when I'm stressed out from kinds of things at church. They'll tell me that even at the supper table, my brow will be, you know, furrowed and tense. So like they can tell when I have stress. You ever seen somebody who's lived with constant stress for 50 years? That countenance comes to define them. God has so worked to give us comfort and joy in this, that that furrowed brow can start to relax. Christian, knowing that God is your father will affect how you look in 50 years. Knowing that God is your father will affect how you walk in this world. Not with the the moping self-doubt, but with the confidence. My father loves me. My father accepts me and he is working all things for my good. It also comes with a calling. You are to act like your father. Be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. But it also inspires us to a motivating kind of drive. Your father loves you and accepts you but you were born with a desire for your father to be proud of you. I'm convinced that one of the great reasons why ambition is growing cold in young people is in large part due to the fact they've been lied to their entire lives instead of being told the truth. The the truth about life is there should be a calling to know that we are to go into this world and work, and build, and strive, and be fruitful, and raise families, and fight when we need to fight. There is a calling that we are supposed to go do things that are worth being proud of so that our fathers will look on us and be pleased with what's there. And instead, what we have is now children from the time that they can even speak, they're just told everything you do is awesome. You breathe, that was awesome, you everything. There's no, no ambition to go do anything. So understand that there's a double message. Father's in the room. We should love and accept our children while at the same time communicating. You do need to go do something and make your life useful. Your father speaks. From heaven, We are loved. We are accepted. But there is a calling to go and serve and obey and be useful and, and strive in this life. We are to make the great ambition of our life that when we stand before Him on the last day, He says those words, well done. Well done done if that's not the driving desire of your life something's not clicking something's not clicking and it needs to for some this is a message you need to preach to yourself every single day of your life until that brow relaxes until you know the security that you have in him the joy that comes with knowing you have a seat at the table It's not the seat of a visitor. It's the seat of sons and daughters of God. And doesn't that make you want to honor him? Like, doesn't that inspire you to want to go and serve him? Our father is in heaven. And to you who maybe before this morning you just assumed you were fine, Maybe you've always just assumed that God was already your father and that everything was going to work out just fine. You've never considered that you might not be okay. Well, the Bible has bad news and good news. The bad news for you is right now you're not okay. If you were to die right now, you really are facing an eternity of hell. The marvelous news is you're alive, you still have a chance to be saved. And Jesus, the older brother, has died for all who come to Him. Jesus will bring you to the Father. Come trust in Him. Receive the Lord Jesus. Believe on His name. Pray to confess your faith in Him and ask that He would save you. And Jesus will bring you to the Father. If anyone wants to do that, find me before you leave. We'll talk, we'll pray, we'll answer questions. But trust in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, Abba, where we come to you and we worship your name, thank you for this wonderful gift that you have given, oh God. Lord, the more we study, the more we see, the more we see, the more we worship, the more amazed we are. So Lord, I pray that we will live as sons and daughters who please you. Give us grace, O God, as we're going to leave here. I pray that we'll glorify you this week. Help us, and I pray for any that has not yet trusted you who's hearing this right now. Please bring them to yourself. We love you, Lord, and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at True Vine, I-N-D, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.